book of Luke in chapter 6, the kids are learning about the incorporating Jesus into Easter. Miss Marietta has a lesson regarding the Easter eggs. I told my wife that the adults are going to hunt Easter eggs this afternoon too. It's a little bit different type of Easter egg, but whenever you hunt for Easter eggs, there in my life there's been three objectives. One has been to be better than everybody else, to collect more eggs. The second has been to collect whatever was inside of those eggs, whether it be chocolate or whether it be money, whatever it may be. And the third is to leave no eggs out there that someone else can find. That has always been my objective, and I, I was told as a kid if, if they, all the eggs began in my basket, I still couldn't find them all. As an adult, I've got a little bit better about it, but it took me turning 20 to find an Easter egg. When it comes to the Bible, we should have the same attitude. And, and those three uh, things that, that I look for whenever I'm hunting an Easter egg is three things that we should also look for in our spiritual life. I was down in my shop working last night, and I got bit by a skeeter, and, and I, don't, I don't remember who said it. I don't remember where I heard it. But I heard a guy say one time, he said, I want to be the type of Christian that whenever a skeeter bites me, it leaves, singing there is power in the blood. That is the type of Christian that we should want to be. We should strive to be the type of Christian that everybody says that right there is a Christian. We should strive to be the best that we can possibly be to collect all the eggs and to beat everybody else. I'm not saying that we should be overly competitive and get upset at other people that are, are quote-unquote better Christians than us. But we should strive to be better Christians. Not for competition's sake, but for the work of God's sake. And the second thing, there is prizes... And being a Christian, there are joys. Uh, I got into teaching for the, for the joy of teaching, for being able to make a difference in people's life. There are joys of being a Christian. You, you get to make a difference in people's life. You get to make a difference in your own life. You get to leave your mark on the world, not for the sake of making a mark, but for the rewards that God gives us, for the treasures that we have laid up in heaven that, that sometimes, and, and from what I read in my Bible and what I trust in my God, that those treasures are even better than the Reese's eggs. We'll have to wait to see. And then the third is to not leave a, an egg out there anywhere. Not to miss an opportunity. Not to leave an opportunity bare where we've all missed them. But not to miss an opportunity to profess Jesus to someone. Not to miss an opportunity to invite someone to church. Not to miss an opportunity to read and study our Bible. Not to miss an opportunity to stand up for Jesus. In order to be a better Christian, we've been talking about the, the fruit of the Spirit, what it takes to, to be a disciple, kind of some qualities that disciples must and, and usually always have. And Tonight we're down to what is almost the last two, and no doubt they are two of the most difficult that there is. Whenever it comes to being a Christian, two things that are super hard is meekness and temperance. And I... I been studying on these and I put them both together tonight. We may not get through all of it. But the best definition that I could find for meekness, because whenever I was in school, we never learned what the word meekness meant. And I had to look it up myself. The best word I could find for that is submission. To submit ourselves unto someone else. To be meek as a partner in a relationship is to submit yourself, not be confrontational, 
not be aggressive. And whenever it comes to temperance, what I'm looking at is, is complete and total self-control. And we talked last week about how no man can tame the tongue. How the heart is deceitful and wicked. And yet temperance is having control over our body. That we cannot do in and of ourselves. That we have to get from God. And Luke in chapter 6, verse number 9, both of these are required here in this statement that Jesus makes. Luke chapter 6, verse number 9. Then said Jesus unto them, I will ask you one thing. I'm in the wrong place. I am in the wrong place. I'm looking for the turn the other cheek verse. And I wrote down the wrong verse in Luke chapter 9. Jesus said, if a man shall smite you, and I don't know where it is, I'm not going to dig for it. Jesus said, if a man shall smite you on one cheek to turn the other. And in order to turn that other cheek, you've got to have both meekness and you have to have temperance. When somebody fusses at me or at school, whenever a kid back talks or curses at us, it, it takes a little bit of self-control not to reach out and grab that kid. But at the same time, it takes meekness to go back and to be able to teach that kid. Luke 6.29. Not number 9. There we go. Luke 6.29. And unto him that smiteth thee on one cheek, offer also the other. And him to take away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. If someone reaches out and does you wrong, it is man's desire, it is our fleshly nature to return evil for evil. It is our, it is our desire when somebody hits us to hit back. That's the way it always is, that's the way it's always been. And without the help of God, if we're not very, very careful, we will. It is very easy to strike back. It's, it's very easy to allow emotions to overcome us. It's very easy to lose sight of what we want as a Christian. Whenever we write a resume, and I graded a whole bunch of them today in school, whenever we write a resume, the first thing that we put is our objective. If you're writing a resume to be a teacher, your first is your educational objective. If it's for a trade, then it is your technical objective. It is what you are looking for in whatever it is that you are applying for. If we are applying... To be disciples, our objective should include submission unto God. Our objective should include temperance of our own self, self-control. Our objective should include crucifying ourselves daily so that Christ could live through us. Our objective should include doing the work of God. And in order to do that, we have to follow the teachings of God. And here Jesus said, if somebody hits you on one cheek, you turn around and let him hit the other. That is a definition, that is an example of both meekness and temperance. Flip over, if you would, to 2 Timothy in chapter 2. In the book of 2 Timothy in chapter 2, I think I have this one written down the right way. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse number 25. Meekness is required in two different things that we read about in the Bible. Meekness is required... To teach other people. Because if I don't have it, how can I teach it? And meekness in 2 Timothy 2, 25. And meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to acknowledge of the truth. In meekness instructing those. 
Paul could have very, very easily been led of God to leave out that in meekness. That's a prepositional phrase. It does not change the structure of the sentence. However, it very, very quickly changes the meaning of the sentence. There are two different ways to instruct with meekness and without meekness. With submission to what or who it is you're trying to teach. With, we use the word respect very, very often. It's very easy to teach someone and get on their bad side. Have you ever found somebody that, that just can't teach you anything? We call those type of learners the unteachable ones. It's not that they're unteachable. It's that they're unteachable from one for one person. Because if I try to teach somebody something and they don't get it, I get mad and frustrated. Then they become unteachable to me. Because I'm no longer submitted to teaching them. I'm no longer meek enough to teach them. I no longer have... Temperance goes hand in hand, self-control enough to teach them what it is they need to learn. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If we're going to try to, to be a disciple of Jesus, our goal is to reach a lost and dying world. And if we're going to do that, and we do it through anger, or if we do it through just trying to reach the most people, or if we do it through trying to run up numbers, if we do it because we want that, that association letter to read to read really good, if we do it because we want a full house, because that's what everybody looks for. We're not doing it out of meekness. We're not doing it out of submission to God. Whenever we introduce other people to Christ, it's for their soul. Whenever we introduce others to Jesus, it is so that they can see and be saved by the same Christ we have been. It's so that they can worship the same God that we do. It is so that they can no longer oppose themselves. It is so that they can see the truth. I saw a picture the last couple of days. It says Satan has got a, a rapper to come out with shoes about him. My Jesus walked out of the tomb barefooted. Thought it made an awful lot of sense. We need to introduce that Jesus to the world. You know how long it took those shoes to circulate the whole world? A matter of minutes. And they were there. I was listening to the news, must have been two days ago. 666 pair of them, they sold out in less than 60 seconds on the internet whenever they went live. How, uh, Satan's shoes. They have a drop of blood in them. They have a, a scripture that reads, uh, it's from Luke, whenever Satan fell from heaven. It don't say that he was cast out. It said that he fell with lightning. And they're, they're being sent out by a rapper that's... The, the whole goal is to draw people in to worship in Satan like he does. But the it's for real. It's for real. They're out there. Nike is suing them. It's Nike shoes that have been redone. And it's, it's terrible and it's awful. But every kid at school knew about it the day it happened. Three quarters of the people on this earth knew about it the day that it happened. If bad news can circulate the world that quick, how come good news can't? How come the news of a risen Savior can't? Everybody's going to want to talk about an Easter bunny on Sunday. My wife's been wanting to get a baby picture with an Easter bunny for a week now. She hasn't found it yet. There's not going to be as many talking about the, the empty tomb. There's not going to be as many talking about a risen Savior. 
And whenever we do try to get our point across, whenever we do try to introduce someone to Jesus, whenever we do try to try to tell them about the empty tomb, if we do it out of anger, if we do it out of spite, if we do it for our own reasons and it's not out of meekness, it's going to have a counter effect. The Bible says that in meekness, instruct. Flip over to James in chapter 1. The book of James in chapter 1 in the same way that there really is, is no way to teach without being meek. In the same way, in order to be taught, we have to be submitted and focused on what it is that we're being taught from. In order to read our Bible, can anybody in here read your Bible and not understand anything? I mean, forget what you're reading. Read through the whole thing. Yeah, I know I'm not the only one. I can read a chapter and not even remember what that chapter was about. Couldn't tell you a word in it. If we're not focused in on what it is we're trying to read, if we're not distraction-free, and a lot of times I have something else going somewhere when I'm reading because I, I have a difficult time focusing if something's not going on around me. If I'm sitting by myself quiet, then I get in my head. But if I can focus on three things at once, then I can understand exactly what I'm reading. It, it's the way my brain's wired. It's twisted up in there. You, you don't want to get in this. It's, my head's full of snakes. Anyway, James in chapter 1, verse number 21, it says that we must also... Be taught with meekness. We should teach and be taught. Wherefore, verse 21 of James 1, lay apart all filthiness, superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. A person cannot be saved and not be meek. John 3.16, don't say that it requires meekness. It says that it requires belief, that it requires faith. In order to have faith enough in God to the saving of our soul, we have to believe it, which means we have to submit to it. We have to believe it to the saving of our souls. We have to give up whatever it is that we're holding on to. We have to give up my thoughts, my ways, what I want, what I need, and we have to believe in God. We have to give it all to Jesus. Whenever we read and study our Bible, that's the same way we have to approach things. It's the same way. We have to give whatever it is we're holding on to, whatever it is holding us back, whatever is, is keeping us from focusing, whatever this week has done to us, how, how, however bad the news may have hurt us today. And we have to give that up whenever we read and study our Bible. With meekness, we have to hear it. With submission to what it has to say. You know the Bible is full of good news, but the Bible is not always meant to comfort us. If at some point in, life, in, in time, if, if the Bible don't convict us, we're reading it wrong. Agree with that statement? If the Bible does not convict us, we're reading it wrong. Because as much as this Bible is a, a comfort to us in times of need, and this, this promise book goes right along with that, there's verses about joy, there's verses about love, but if you look in the front of it, in the table of contents, there's also verses about jealousy. There's verses about humbleness. There's verses about God's chastening. And these are just a few. In God's Word, not only does He tell us how to live, He convicts us whenever we're wrong. If we read and study our Word in according to how God wants us to, if, if we read and pray and allow Him to lead and to guide us in our study, and He'll show us in our life what's wrong. 
We have to do it in meekness. I heard a man say one time, and there's a very fine line between the two, but whenever it comes to reading your Bible, most people, and especially when it comes to sitting in a, a Sunday morning sermon, he said whenever somebody's sitting in that pew on Sunday morning, they're either convicted or offended, one of the two. They are. They're either convicted or offended by the same Scriptures. Offended means I'm not receiving it with meekness. Offended means I think I'm better than what I'm reading. Offended means this hurts my feelings. I'm taking it out on God. I'm not wrong. Being convicted is hearing the word with meekness. Receiving the word with submission, understanding that God knows best. Understanding that His word is perfect. That His word is, is unmatched. That the knowledge of God is, is contained inside this book. That the will of God is contained inside this book. That these are the words of God. We refer to the Holy Bible as the living word. It's not something that's partial. It's not something that's meant to tickle our ears. There's a lot of preachers that tickle ears. There's a lot of people that tickle ears. There's a lot of Bibles that tickle ears. They're rewritten so that they sound a little bit better. So that they don't offend. So we're going to take out words like hell. And we're going to take out damnation. And we're going to take out the, the, the words that make things difficult to understand. We're going to take out what we don't like because, because words hurt. When I was coming up, sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt. Now words can get you convicted in a court of law. But the word of God is meant to convict our hearts. The Bible says that it is profitable not only for encouragement but for reproof and for correction. But it has to be received with meekness. Flip over, if you would, to Numbers in chapter 12, verse number 3. The book of Numbers, and keep your Bible open. We're going to flip-flop back and forth right here for a second. Book of Numbers in chapter 12, and then we'll be back over to Acts in chapter 7. Number chapter 12 tells us about a man that we see as an extraordinary person in the Bible. Numbers chapter 12, verse number 3. Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men on the earth. Excuse me, which were upon the face of the earth. That third word says now the man Moses. It don't say that he was extraordinary. The man, the person, the human being that was like me and you. He was tempted. He was sinful. He messed up. He had some temperance issues. But the Bible says here that he was very meek above all the men which were upon the earth. Whenever he was used of God, until he had, like I said, self-control issues, he was very meek. He was submitted unto God every step of the way. He tried to come up with an excuse here and there. But the man, Moses, was very meek. And he was able to be used of God. Turn back to the book of Acts. In chapter 7, we read about another man that's a little bit more familiar whenever we think about meekness. This will bring us right over into self-control. Moses struck the rock. What was he supposed to do? 
supposed to speak to it. Whenever we are confronted, whenever we are aggravated, whenever somebody jumps on us, whenever somebody talks about our family or kicks our dog, what are we supposed to do? Reach out and grab them by the throat, shirt collar, throw something at them, slash their tires, egg their house. We're not supposed to mess with any of that. The Bible says to turn the other cheek, to not return evil for evil. Temperance and self-control is part of being a disciple. Jesus opened not his mouth and they pulled ever they pulled the hair out of his head, his beard. They hit him, they beat him, they spit on him. They mocked him. There's a song, and it's a beautiful song. I think Brother Fred led it here the other afternoon. We had a difficult times. It moved a little slower in the beginning. It said he could have called 10,000 angels. They spat upon my Savior, so pure and free from sin. They said, crucify him, he's to blame. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he didn't. He could have struck back, but he didn't. He could have killed them all, but he didn't. Acts in chapter 7, verse number 60. I was catch 59, and they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Now that right there is a combination of meekness and temperance that we only see one other time in the Bible. We find that in one other place, and that is Jesus our Lord. Stephen here was so submitted unto God that he could preach the word of God. And whenever they were offended by it, whenever they convict, were convicted by it, whenever they were pricked to their hearts, it says in verse 55 that Stephen was full of the Holy Ghost. He said, Father, forgive them. Talk about a man that had control of himself. I'd have picked up a rock and threw it back. I've tried anyway. That is our fleshly nature. To turn around, to hit back, to throw back, to whoop back, to beat back. That is our fleshly nature. Moses came down off the Ten Commandments, excuse me, off the mountain with the Ten Commandments. He saw the, the children of Israel worshiping a, a golden cow. What did he do? He broke the Ten Commandments. Broke the tablets. You know, technically Moses was the first person to ever download information from a cloud onto a tablet. First person ever. <coughs> he, he wasn't tempered. He had a temper. He allowed the, the, the actions of the people to get the best of them. Whenever he was told to speak to the rock, he let the people get the best of him. And he struck it once again. And it cost him. Not controlling our temper can cost us. May not be in this life. May not even be something we can understand. But the Bible says in Proverbs that a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. A good name is something that should come with a disciple. It's something that should come with a Christian. And if we lose our temper, if, if we're one to lash out and to reach out and grab somebody and hit somebody and throw a royal fit because we got our feelings hurt, 
then that's going to go with us as well. And we're going to lose that influence that we could have had as a disciple of Christ. Whenever Christ said, allow the same spirit that's within me to dwell in you, that goes a long way and that's very, very deep. We're not going to get into it. But a lot of that has to go with patience and temperance. How much can I control myself? Proverbs chapter 16, verse number 32 says that he that is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he that ruleth his spirit shall take the city. If we can control ourselves, if we can be submitted to God to the point that that we can that we can control our body. Not only our action, but what's even more important is controlling our reaction. A picture is worth a thousand words. A lot of times what's even more hard to control than our arms and fists and fingers is, is our face and our tongue. Turn over to Romans in chapter 6. And we're going to come to a close the book of Romans in chapter 6. The Bible says that we are to have control over our flesh. In verse number 12. Verse number 1 says, What shall you say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse number 2 says, God forbid. Jumping down to verse number 12. Paul said, Let not sin reign therefore in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your, your members as instruments of unrighteousness. But yield yourselves unto God. Be completely and totally submitted. We can't have control over ourselves on our own. We can't do it. And it's not an overnight process. It is submitting ourselves to God daily. It is allowing God to have control of us daily. It is us practicing meekness and temperance daily. Flip back to the book of James and we're going to close. The book of James in chapter 3. Verse number 2, the writer says, For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man and is able to bridle the whole body. Anybody ever said something you regret? Often. I've said things that I wished I could have just, just, just reached out there and got them back. I've tried. It don't work whether it's to family, friends, or strangers. Without God's help, it is impossible for us to bridle our tongue. But with God's help, we are able to. Verse number three, but we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us when, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships that they be so great and are driven of fierce winds Turned about with a very small hem. Even so the tongue is a little member. And boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. How big a difference that tongue can make. How big a difference a word can make. In the same way if we allow God to use us in meekness. If we hear him and receive his word in meekness. If we instruct. If we reach out. If we witness to others in meekness, then God is able to use that same tongue for good. God is able to use our life for good if we have a good name. If we have control over ourselves. If we haven't totally and completely 
ruined ourselves in the community. If we're able to live a life that exemplifies the love of Christ. If we're able to live a life that If we're able to be bitten by a mosquito and the mosquito saying there is power in the blood. If there is a difference about us. If there is something that, that the world can see that is different. Then God can use us. But we've got to be submitted to Him. We've got to turn our life over to Him. And we've got to do that every day. I told you that I look for three things whenever I hunt Easter eggs. And in my Christian life, I look for the same three things. I want to be the absolute best that I can be. And I want to reach everybody. Try to. Some won't hear. There's some eggs that I'll never find. You'll smell them in a few days and then you'll understand. There's some eggs that we'll never find. There's some people that we'll never reach. But God didn't say stop looking. God didn't say stop witnessing. God didn't say stop reaching out whenever it gets hard, whenever it gets difficult. That's whenever we should work harder. I want to not only be the best Christian that I can be, I want to find it for the prize. I want to look not on what it can do for me, but the, not the treasures that I can lay up on earth, but the treasures that we can lay up in heaven. It's not about what, what I want. It's not about what I look like. It's, it's about what God looks like. That's what it should be about in all of our life. And ultimately, I want to do it so there's none missing. So I'm not missing an opportunity. I want to look hard. Whenever I used to hunt eggs, and, and Daddy always said that was my downfall, I was always standing straight up carrying my Easter basket around. I didn't get down. I looked up underneath the egg maybe right there. But I didn't get down and look down there. If we're going to be a, a witnessing Christian, if we're going to be a Matthew 28 Christian, if we're going to be a missionary Baptist Christian, then sometimes we got to get down on our knees and look around. Sometimes we got to look for help from others. Sometimes, all the time, we have to put forth a little bit more effort than what we want to. And that's when we get rewarded. That's when we find the egg. That's when <laughs> that's whenever we can stand at judgment and hope and pray that God says, well done. But we have a verse from Psalm.